Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. pastoral confidence kind of moments those, those moments you shared the like the hardest things of your life if I, if I had one phrase it would be I just can't I just can't and I've heard it in a couple of different contexts um, some people not um, not everyone not not the majority some people um, when they say it they mean relates to their the capacity in their in their calendar to manage things like the meaning is pretty obvious. I, I just can't do it right now. I can't do that right now. I just can't. Uh, it's, I, I don't have the time for it. My child is in soccer. Soccer happens to be on Sunday mornings now. And so I just can't. And you're not going to, I'm just, I can't, I, I can't put it on my calendar. And I just can't for this season. I've also heard it um, from those going through the most, painful moments of life, like those watching a parent die, or um, those who are battling cancer, or those who are supporting people who are going through cancer, or those trying to figure out some regulation of medicine that can help them get a handle on like the clinical depression that keeps them in bed. And so they say, I just can't. And they mean they just can't. They can't emotionally, right at this moment, being here in this space, being a part of a community of any kind is just too much. Because it reminds them of their mom who used to be able to sing those hymns and, and now they can't stop crying when they come to church. So it just, it, so they don't come. Or because they, are angry with God right now, and so praying in solitude um, 
for this season, instead of sitting through sermons they don't know if they can even believe right now, is the only way that they can. Because they just can't. Um, but most often over the last three years, when people say, I can't, the majority, the bigger majority of people, um, it's neither, they're not really talking about the responsibilities that they have um, that, that conflict with being a part of community. They, it's not their calendar that they can't. They're, they're not trudging through the worst moments of their life right now um, or actively moving through the grieving process or battling like crippling depression. They're not, most of the time when you hear this phrase, I just can't, it relates to this overarching sense that everything everywhere is just too much. Like political turmoil, war, the drive but not the expectation to work many more hours than they're paid for, the overstimulation of social media, the, the feeling trapped by their phone, all that's wrong with the world, all the things they could do and, and can't do and should do and won't do, and all of it is just too much. And so they're paralyzed, like just stuck, paralyzed. All, all that I wanna be and all that I wanna do and, and am not yet, and have not done yet, and I've been told that I need to take care of myself. Self-care is so important. I need to find myself within all of this cacophony that's like vying for my attention. And so I just can't right now. I can't connect, I can't show up, I can't commit, I can't be present, I just can't, and so I don't. Psychologists actually say that, that the two things that we all need and want, all of us wanted and needed, doesn't matter when in our life, we all needed and wanted, are connectedness and autonomy. A, a sense that we are connected to something bigger than ourselves, beyond ourselves, others beyond ourselves, and a sense that we know what to do and have something to contribute. This sentiment seems to percolate with the longing and the, this, this I can't, this just I can't, it, it has within it these two things, this longing for connection and autonomy, but it's like we have no idea where to find it. And so we, we look for it in all the places that is actually giving us the anxiety we're hoping to get away from. Psychologists talk about these two needs, connection and autonomy. Um, and, and psychologists say that like in the infant years of life, um, it's, it's both dependent entirely on, we're both dependent on entirely on others for survival and connected and as, um, and so we have no clear awareness of a, like a sense of separate self in the early years of life. As, the, like as a child matures though, um, she acquires an awareness of self then that is distinct from others. 
and yet remains thoroughly dependent on, on people. On, uh, so they're unfit for an autonomous existence, right, as a child. Through adolescence and into adulthood, like we, we reach for autonomy more than ever, and yet having kind of left childhood in its way of, of we've left that behind, but we, we aren't fully an adult yet, like, and we're starting to want to find that kind of connectivity, the partners and the friends and the communal life that are chosen rather than assigned at birth, and then later in adulthood, if it all works out, if it all works out well, we might just get to be both genuinely connected, belonging somewhere, that's what, like, that connected, you belong, and also confidently autonomous. You feel like you are someone, right? That's what we long for. Which reminds me of um, the church in Philippi. And so that's why we are gonna be studying the book of Philippians. The church in Philippi was, it was the first Jesus community that Paul started in, the, in Eastern Europe. And we know this because of the story, like the story unfolds in Acts, of the starting of this community. And Philippi was this Roman, colony in ancient Macedonia. It was full of soldiers, and it was full of retired soldiers. It was full of the workforce. It was full of those who spend their days in long days. And it was known for two things in particular. It was known for its patriotic nationalism, its revering and leaning and almost idolizing the empire, and it was known for its growing secularism, this growing sense of self, of the ability and desire to become something and, and to achieve something, this growing sense of connectedness and self-realization and autonomy completely outside any grounding or understanding of what other communities did have, which was an understanding of faith and spirituality or a sense of God and their purpose within God's plan, Philippi was different. This is growing secularism. And there, Paul is announcing in the midst of this nationalism and secularism that Jesus is the true king. King of this nation, but also king over your life. That there is no sense of self, no connectedness or autonomy outside of our identity in Christ. Paul preaches this radically like countercultural identity and he experiences as you would imagine intense resistance because of this. As well as the people building his church are experiencing persecution because of this. They they experience incredible persecution while still remaining this vibrant community faithful to the way of Jesus. And so in Philippians is this letter to the people in that church of Philippi, this letter that Paul is sending from prison because of the very message he has been proclaiming and the very heart of what Philippians is even talking about. And so we learn in Acts that this church in Philippi was actually sent, it sent one of its members, um, this member's name was um, Aphroditus, I'm pretty sure, um, it sent one of its members to go send money to Paul in prison. It sends a member, and Paul sends this letter back um, to them 
from this member who goes and brings money to support him in prison. This book, this letter, doesn't hold within it one single idea from beginning to end, like most of Paul's letters do. Rather, Paul has arranged a series, and I'll, I'll put this, it's a series of essays. Put that kind of um, picture of the whole, it's this series of essays. Um, this series of essays that all revolve around one center. It's four chapters. And one center at the very heart of it, which is this poem in chapter two that artistically retells the story of Jesus's incarnation and life and death and, and resurrection in this whole new way. And then in each of these vignettes, Paul uses key words from that central poem to show how living as a Christian means seeing your own story your own life, that connectedness and autonomy that you crave, that sense of self. It means seeing your story as this lived expression of Jesus's story. That's what all of Philippians is about. This opening letter, as Paul is known to do in, in his letters, he thanks the church um, for their generosity. And we kind of read a little bit of that um, while we did our call to worship today. He thanks the church for their generosity and encourages them in their faithfulness. And then he expresses his confidence that the life-transforming work that God had begun in them would continue the, into this greater, more beautiful expression of faithfulness and love. And so take a look at this scripture here. These are the words of Paul. I'm confident of this, that the one who began a good work in you will continue to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And this is my prayer, that our love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you determine what really matters so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ alone for the glory and praise of God. And then Paul moves to what we know is his obvious concern. It's Paul's imprisonment. He knows that is their concern. He knows that's at the heart of all of their anxieties. He knows this, plus their own persecution for the being an extension of Paul. He's in prison, and they've got so much anxiety about it. They are anxious, and they are overwhelmed, and they are looking for some sense of peace and some sense of joy. And, and the reality of Paul's imprisonment on top of the political tension and the personal and economic turmoil and their health struggles and relational conflict and mental anguish and societal expectations and working longer days than they're paid for, Paul's imprisonment is just bringing them to a place where they just can't. They just can't. It's all too overwhelming. I just can't. Paul knows this. Paul knows the anxiety rising among them and the temptation they have to retreat and to abandon the community and to give up on the good work that God has begun in them, to try to find peace, to try to find joy somewhere else, that sense of connectedness and autonomy somewhere else. And so Paul moves to address this obvious concern. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually resulted in the progress of the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is for Christ, and most 
having been made confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, dared to speak now the word with greater boldness and without fear. For to me, living is Christ and dying is gain. In other words, I have come to see my own story as a lived expression of Jesus' story. And so therefore, even, even this suffering, even this moment, I rejoice. For my hardest days are a window into the story of Jesus. This, this extension of Christ's work in me. And though I am, I am far from you, I find my identity and my groundedness, that, that deep connectedness that keeps me going, that, that's, that peace my soul craves, I find that in the life of Jesus, which my life has been made a part of. And when I feel like I just can't, when I am tempted to just retreat, and when I, when I want to give up the good work that God has begun in us, I, I go to find myself or some sense of identity and connectedness and peace. I go to find myself in Jesus. When I feel like I can't, when I look at the world around me and I feel the mounting pressure of work and relationships and anxiety creeping in from all of those competing interests, all of those things that aim to distract me, and I feel like I just can't anymore, I know that I can because my life is grounded. My sense of self is grounded. My cravings for connection and autonomy are centered in the life and call of Christ. It's possible that, that Paul could be released, but it's also possible that Paul could be ex executed. But Paul says, and yet I still rejoice, because for me, life is Christ. Paul's present and future is defined by the life and love of Jesus. This is what Paul says it means to live a life worthy of our calling and identity in Christ. And let's make, make clear, that's not dying. That's not for Paul dying. The true sacrifice for Paul isn't dying. It's not the goal. Paul's saying that the true sacrifice is life, grounded, connected, whole in Christ, so that we may serve others. And so he commands them. He commends to them this. So only live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel and in no way frightened by those opposing you. This is the evidence of your salvation. For Christ has graciously granted you the privilege not only of believing in Christ, but of suffering for him as well, since you are having the same struggle that you saw I had and still have. This is the evidence of your salvation. Like, what an incredible definition of salvation. If you have ever looked for a de definition of salvation, that the evidence of your salvation is not some little prayer you pray to invite Jesus into your heart, that the evidence of your salvation is not some set of beliefs, it's seeing your life, yourself, as an extension of the life and story of Jesus. That's what salvation is. Which leads 
into this like grand central story at the heart of Philippians. It's the center. I said everything leads to this, this center story. Um, it all hinges on the retelling of Jesus's life because if our life must be in Jesus's life, we be- better know what that story is. And so in Philippians 2, we get that big story. If then there is any comfort in Christ, any consolation from love, any partnership in the spirit, any tender affection and sympathy, make my joy complete, be of the same mind. Having the same love, let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, and here's the story, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself. He took the form of a servant, assuming human likeness, incarnation, being found in in appearance as a human. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, Good Friday, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him even more highly so that all shall confess that Jesus is Lord. Resurrection, exaltation. There's the story. And this is at the heart of it all. If our lives are to be just an extension of Jesus' life. If seeing our life like that is what salvation is, this is our story. That's our story. Paul is saying, here's what's bringing you all this anxiety. Here's the thing driving you to retreat and find self-care at the expense of soul care. It's that you're obsessed with your own sense of self. You're obsessed with your own freedom. Freedom from worry, freedom from struggle, freedom from suffering, and that's not the life of Jesus. If our life is to be extension of Christ, of course, of course you will suffer. The thing that's causing you anxiety is not all that makes this life hard, all that leads you to to think, I just can't. Paul says it's It's that you have stopped seeing your story as an extension of Jesus' story. You're obsessed with your own freedom. You're so keen to be yourself and to express yourself and not take orders from anybody that you don't, you've considered equality with God an option. You can be easily manipulated by the fantasy of choice and the fantasy of self. Just imagine what it would be like, Paul says, to be truly free of that. Just imagine. Just imagine what it would be like to be truly connected, free from comparing yourself to others, free from resentment, free from greed and envy and relentless insecurity and comparison. Just imagine. Fancy the taste of that, Paul says. You have, the, you have to face the fact that you're a servant That's how you begin. Now stop trying and hopelessly failing to be free and let go of the fallacy that you can ever fully express yourself outside of Christ. Feel that paradoxical power you've suddenly been given in that, right? You're no longer in the grip of your own quest. That should feel freeing. That shouldn't feel like something uncomfortable. That shouldn't feel like something I'm not sure of. That should be freeing to you. It's pretty exciting. You're no longer in the grip of your own quest for autonomy. You're you're free to relate to people without always having to win. That's pretty exciting. 
That's pretty intoxicating. No wonder it's called salvation. And then look what's next. You're dominated by your, your own search for survival. Think how much time you spend then trying to pretend you're not going to die one day. Just imagine what it would be like to be free of the fear of our own mortality. That's the next step, right? To, to no longer dread every birthday, to no longer eradicate every gray hair, right? To no longer be torn up by the anxious anticipation of oblivion or nothingness or lack of meaning or worse. You spend your whole life avoiding pain and shame. Your every shopping trip is devoted to a life lived in comfort and self-care and and you more or less have a personal physician on hand to make sure you never feel, never feel a, a moment's physical unease. You keep the poor and needy far away lest their predicament become infectious and you, and you encounter real hardship, razor sharp pain. And your biggest fear is that you'll be exposed as a sham, that somehow someone will discover your lies and your pretension and your, your shabby dealings and, and you'll be a fool and a failure and, and a fraud. Just imagine what it would be like to be free of all of that, of the twin fears of pain and shame, to stop always saying, I just can't. Always searching for the next self-help guru, always looking for connection in all the places that come up leaving you craving more. And so Jesus here faced death and complete loss of control. Jesus faced the cross, the epitome of agony and shame. And look what happened to him. He became Lord. There's this, um, where did I put it? Um, to, we'll talk more about this next week, but um, this book has been really life-giving for me lately. Um, the author, um, the writer for the column on faith for the Washington Post, um, she does stories. She just collects these stories. Um, of these amazing moments of spiritual encounter. And you've probably read some of them in her kind of column on um, faith. I forgot exactly what it's called, faith and something. What did she say? On Faith, thank you. It's the writer, so um, yeah, her name is um, Lisa Miller and she is the writer of On Faith in the Washington Post. And so, uh, that's right, thank you. Um, and this whole book that just came out, it's all about how the biggest thing she discovered through all these stories, I mean, it's a book of stories. Some of them are her um, entering into a, um, into a kind of more of a fundamentalist community and seeing how they are at work living spiritual lives. Some of them are entering into communities like ours that are, um, that are embracing um, people the church hasn't embraced before. Uh, some of them are stories of, of, of uh, Muslims some of them are stories of the Jewish community. Some of them she has gone to, to be um, a witness to the spirituality um, that's happening in, in communities of faith all over the area. Um, but she starts this with this explanation of why she wrote this book. And she says that through all my findings, I had this pivotal moment on the way to this breakthrough discovery that each of us has a brain that is waiting to be awakened. Each of us is endowed with a natural capacity to perceive a greater reality and consciously connect to the life force that moves in and through and around us. And it's when we choose to connect to that life force 
that we find the wholeness that we have been looking for. We find the spiritual awareness. The awakened brain in that moment is, is this individual and societal and global well-being comes out of this. I commend this book to you. But basically what she just said, this awakened brain is what we here would call salvation. This idea, this scene, our life as an extension of Christ's life through us. How might that change the way you connect? Let's pray. God, we, um, we come before you as people who have been told a lot of stories, um, been given so much um, both overstimulation that we want to get away from, but also tons of information. We can find a book on anything. We can listen to a podcast on anything now. There, and so much of it is grounded in finding ourself. And it's not really all that freeing when we find ourself because our self is not wrapped up in the things of God. It's when we find you, God, and we find our identity in you, when we begin to do the work of soul care instead of self-care, we, we find what we were made for. And it's like all of heaven has a party at that moment because we, there's been this awakening in us and we feel like we have meaning and we feel like we connect and we feel like we belong. And so God, awaken us Redeem us. Save us, God. And when we say save us, we say graft us into your story. We pray this in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. There is peace.